in this series, we're addressing the lies that take us out of the game. The things that, that we believe that put us on the bench that take us out of the game. Uh, many of you may relate with this next statement. I enjoyed sports, but I was never very good at them. Anybody else? Yeah, a, a few people. The rest of you are just good at sports, I guess. Uh, but I enjoyed sports, and I was just never very good at them. I played a few different sports, uh, basketball and soccer mainly. I did one year of golf. I got most improved, which means, like, you used to be really bad, and now you're less bad, but you're still really bad. Uh, that was what happened my, my year that I played golf, and then I played baseball for a few years. Believe it or not, uh, I'm going to brag on myself here a little bit. In sixth grade, sixth grade, I played on the varsity baseball team. I did. I did. Now, that was because they only had eight people on the team, and they needed a ninth person, and I was the only one willing. And we went to a really small school, and they were like, Bryce, come on, go stand on right field. And I went, okay. And so uh, that's what I did. And, uh, man, I, I enjoyed baseball. But it, those weren't really the main ones I played. The main sports I played were basketball and soccer. Uh, again, I was not very good at either. And uh, my senior year of high school, my coach came to me, again, smaller school, Christian school, one of those schools where you go, if you try out, you're on the team, basically. And so we, we had a basketball team, try out for the basketball team, made the team, yes. If you don't make the team, that, that's really bad. So I made the team, good start. Uh, my coach, I played my junior year, everything went well. I was just played like a normal guard position. And then my senior year of high school, our guy who was playing the point guard, he graduated and we didn't have a point guard. So my coach told me, he said, Bryce, I know you can't dribble very well. Like, I know you're not like fancy with your dribbling, but we need you to play point guard. And I'm like, all right, coach, bet, I got it. Like, let's do this. And uh, he told me, he said, listen, this is all you got to do. Just dribble the ball past half court and pass it off to somebody else. Done. I can do that. Easy. And so that's what I did all season long. I would dribble the ball past half court, pass it off to somebody else. And honestly, I did pretty good at that part of it. Uh, however, I, again, I, I didn't have any handles. I had no good moves or anything. I could, I could get it behind my back every now and then. But even then, it wasn't consistent enough for me to do it very often. And so I, I, I wasn't very showy or anything. And at the end of the basketball season, or we would have a, a, like a team party and my coach would get us all gifts. But the gifts were all like, like backhanded compliment kind of gifts, like making fun of you a little bit so they were funny. And uh, so my junior year, this one was the, the bad one. We had a game and uh, I got crossed up bad like really bad, like broke my ankles, fell on the ground bad. I was playing defense on the guy, he came one way, back the other way, and I was down on the ground. And to make it worse, to make it worse, they were videoing that game for a highlight reel for their team, and I was the beat drop. You know, like where like the music gets, and it's like boom, and it was like me falling on the ground because the guy crossed me up so bad. So my junior year, my coach got me an ankle brace because my ankles got broken so bad. My senior year, when I played point guard, he got me a little four-wheeler, like a little toy, and uh, he ripped off the handlebars on it and called it the No Handles Award because I, I, I couldn't dribble. I, just, I, I didn't have any handles. I would just dribble the ball up, pass it once I got beyond half court. So that was my basketball experience. Let me tell you about my soccer experience. Now, I told you I wasn't very good, but my next statement is going to contradict that a little bit. You ready? My senior year... I scored a third of our goals. That's pretty good, right? A third? I mean, that's pretty good. I, somebody's clapping. That's pretty good. 
a third of our goals. Here's the thing, though. Uh, I did score a third of our goals. I promise you I did. However, our team didn't win a game all season, and we only scored three goals all season. <laughs> so... That means I only scored one goal, if you do your math correctly. Uh, So no, I was not very good at soccer, but I did score a third of our goals, and that's my claim to fame. Uh, I had people ask me all the time, they would say, hey, do you play football? I'm like, no, I don't. Uh, Do you wrestle? I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, then what, like, you're built for those. What are you doing playing basketball and soccer? I don't know. That's just the sports that are available to me. Uh, And I couldn't, at the schools that I went to, we didn't have football. We didn't have wrestling. But I got asked if I should do those all the time. But there is one big thing that I learned in sports. I mean, I learned multiple, but one big takeaway that applies for today is that there's power in a team meeting. Now, whether that that takes place in a timeout, at halftime, before the game, after the game, uh, a team party like my basketball team would have afterwards, there's, there's power in a team meeting. When the team gets together and they discuss how they're gonna play the game, It's powerful. It's beneficial to the team. I was doing some research on this, and I found a paper that somebody has written, put a ton of research and study into this, and they wrote this article, this paper, that was about 37 pages long. And uh, I skimmed through a lot of it, kind of took away some of the points, and it applies to this. Here's the title of it. An Examination of Timeout Value, Strategy, and Momentum in NCAA Division I Men's Basketball riveting read, right? Anybody want to go home and read that? Uh, If you do, I'll send you the link, but uh, it was pretty boring except for the end. So I'm just going to read you the conclusion, the, 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 the main takeaway that he came up with. He says, to begin with, it's quite clear that on average, taking a timeout improves net score differential in intervals immediately preceding the timeout when compared to equal length intervals heading into the timeout. So in other words, the, the moment a team takes t- a timeout, they, were perf- they would perform better the five minutes following the timeout than the five minutes preceding the timeout. So they would, they would do better once their team got together and met. Once they had a team meeting, they would do better. Thus, a timeout really is a stabilizer, offering teams a sort of way to reset the game, at least from a local standpoint. This also suggests that coaches are inherently rational in how they utilize their timeouts. They call timeouts that benefit their own team more than their opponent, thus providing their own team with an advantage. Again, the title of this, An Examination of Timeout Value, Strategy, and Momentum in NCAA Division I Men's Basketball. Now, this paper may not be all that fascinating to you, but it is to me for a few reasons. The first one is this. Teams clearly perform better after a team meeting. In fact, one of the conclusions that he came to is that uh, a, a timeout, he gave it a point value, like points in the game. He said a timeout is valued at 1.5 to 2.2 points. So when you, when you take a timeout, statistically, it's worth 1.5 to 2.2 points. So if the game is tied and there's 10 seconds left on the clock, call the timeout because you could potentially get somewhere between 1.5 and 2.2 points. Like, get, call that timeout so you can get those points so you can get ahead in the game. So teams perform better after some, some form of team meeting. The second thing I, that fascinated me from this is that the person who chooses if a meeting should be held does it for the benefit of the team. When the coach calls it, he's saying, listen, you need to meet, we need to meet, 
and here's why, because it's going to benefit us as a team. It's going to, it's going to help things go better. We're going to be able to discuss, get a game plan, and go and attack. And then the second, the, the, la- the third thing, the last thing that, that fascinated me about this is that just like a team is in, in a competition, they're, they're at battle. They're, they're trying to win this. We are also in a battle. And for the team, it would be wise for them to attend every team meeting that they can, right? Because the team meetings are beneficial to them. They're, they're worth something. They're, they're, they're highly valued. Well, we as Christians, we should also attend every meeting we can because it's a benefit to us. Is everybody catching the connection here? The connection? Christians will perform better after gathering together. Just in a way that that basketball players, football players, a hockey team, whatever it may be, after they have a team meeting, they go out and they perform better. You see, in a team meeting, when we gather together in a church context, we open up the playbook, right, the Bible. We explore it. We decide, okay, what are we going to do next? We teach from it. Uh, the coach or the pastor equips us to go out and to win. He says, all right, here, here's what the playbook says. Here's what we're going to do. Let's go out. Let's win this thing. God, the one who calls the team meeting, he's the one who's doing it for our benefit, right? He's the one who's saying, listen, I'm having you attend this meeting because it's going to benefit you. And then we also should attend every meeting that we can, right? Because it's going to benefit us, it's going to help us go out and win the game, go out and help us attack the enemy. It's going to help us in a great way. There's one important thing to know about gathering, though, and that's that the team meeting will only benefit you if you go to it. It's easy to just kind of sit the bench, and when the team's meeting, it's easy to think, I don't, I don't need to be a part of that. They got it. And here's the lie that we so often believe as Christians. And that's that faithfully attending church is unimportant. Faithfully attending church is unimportant. We believe that. And we think, man, the starters got the game. We're, we're winning. Like, I don't need to go to the team meeting. We're doing well in the game. I can still celebrate the victories from the bench Right? When our team scores, when something great happens, I can still celebrate, even though I'm not really having a part in it. I can just stay here. We believe this lie that faithfully attending team meetings, faithfully attending church, is unimportant. One of my favorite quotes about lies is from Craig Rochelle, and he says, A lie believed as truth will affect you as though it were true. A lie believed as truth will affect you as though it were true. If you believe the lie that faithfully attending church is unimportant, then that will affect you as if that statement were true, even though it's not. Today, we're going to take some time to combat that lie. And how you combat a lie is with truth. And so we're going to dig into some truth tonight, today, and we're going to combat that lie. We're going to do that by addressing three different questions about gathering together that will help give you a good picture of what the Bible teaches on this subject. The first question is this. If you're taking notes, you're more than welcome to write it down. Question number one is, why should we gather? Why should we gather? And the simple answer to that is, God says to. God says to. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, or even more so, like even more frequently, as you see the day approaching. Now, I'm not saying that every Christian, in order to be a good Christian, has to have 100% attendance on their church report. I'm, I'm not saying that. Because that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, it's completely understandable. It's completely acceptable for there to be uh, schedule conflicts that come up or emergencies that, that come up or uh, you, you just need a, a break. You need to get away on vacation. Pastor Chris has gone on vacation. He might be watching online. He, he might not be. He's on vacation. Like, go, enjoy vacation. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is forsaking the gathering. You see, the word that's used there is forsaking. It means to abandon. So if you're consistently choosing, hey, I know church is important. I know we should be gathering together, but I'm going to consistently put other things ahead of it. You're abandoning. You're forsaking the gathering of ourselves together. I believe, as do most Christians, and I believe this is what the Bible teaches, that your relationship with God is the most important thing for you. Your relationship with God is the most important thing for you. And if that's true, then God's word is our authority, right? And if God's word is our authority, and in it, we find that we should not be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, that command is found in his word, then we should take that pretty seriously. Extremely seriously, right? Because if this is our authority, then we have to listen to it. It's an important command. This means that assembling of our, the assembling of ourselves together should be a priority. But that takes commitment. It's not, it's not just, it doesn't just happen. It takes commitment. You know, nobody would say that sports or careers are more important than God is, right? At least most people wouldn't say that. But practically lived out, sometimes they do say that with their actions, They'll say, hey, listen, listen, your relationship with God, attending church, that's some of the most important stuff you can do. But then things come up, uh, one thing after another, you're abandoning, 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 forsaking the assembling of yourselves together because it hasn't been made a priority in your life. Now, again, I'm, I'm not talking about conflicts here and there, but forsaking, abandoning the gathering. You see, if God is to have the highest seat in the lives of all Christians, then why do we let such small and insignificant things take over? Notice that the, the Bible does not teach that we should fit in the assembling of ourselves together when our schedule allows for it. it, it it's, we, should, we should be assembling together and fit other stuff in around that because that takes the priority. That's one of the most important things that we can be doing. Why is it that church is oftentimes the thing that gets skipped over instead of other things getting moved around because of church? Because, hey, I, I know there's a practice scheduled for this time. I know there's a game on at this time. I know uh, that, that your job is busy and sometimes you have to be gone at these days. But what's the priority? What's more important? And then let your life, your scheduling, show that. So why should we gather? Because God says to the second question is this, what do we do in gatherings? And the short answer is that we learn from God's word 
and we worship him. What do we do in gatherings? We learn from God's word and worship him. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, There are many passages that we could look at to answer this question of of what do we do in gatherings, but today we're just going to look at this one. And at first it teaches that the preaching of the word of God is to be a part of regular church services. If the word of Christ is to dwell in you richly, then we need to study that when we gather together, right? That needs to be a big part of what we do when we gather. And this is why Pastor Tony, sometimes somebody else like myself, we gather together, we preach the word, and we do it on a weekly basis, right? Because that, that's the whole point. That's, that's everything that anchors us is here. This is our truth. This is our authority. So we have no right And we sure strive to never get up here and preach our own opinion, our own agenda, our own things. We want to preach the word of God because that's our authority. That's what we're standing on. This is the truth. And that's what we're going to give each and every week. And I'm glad to go to a church where the word of God is preached and preached unashamedly. So we preach the word of God. That's a part of regular church services. And then we should sing praises to God in a variety of different ways. You know, none of us should only be able to praise God in a certain specific way. We should be able to broaden our praise, if that makes any sense. You know, he, he says in this passage, in, uh, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I, I think this isn't only just to give a different, differentiation of some different types of music and songs and praise, but I think it's also to show us, hey, there should be different types of music, different types of songs, different types of praise. That should be a part of our Christian life. We should should be able to praise God in a diverse uh, diverse amount of ways. This is why we have a variety of music in our services. Even in the service today, uh, we sang two songs that that are newer. One of them is, is even more new than the other one is. Uh, and then after communion, we sang a song that's much older, right? We, we have a variety of new songs, of old songs, of slow songs, fast songs, short songs, long songs, non-repetitive, repetitive. We have a mix of all sorts of different praise. Why? Because we should have a variety of different songs that we sing to God. And let me say this, some of the songs that I love, and I, man, I will sing out at the top of my lungs, Some of those songs you may hear and think, what is wrong with that dude? His taste in music is terrible. Maybe. I love it though. But some of the songs that you love, I might be thinking the same thing back to you. So know this. Whenever you hear a song and think, man, I don't like this, look across the aisle, look around you. I bet you'll see somebody who does like it. Because we're all different. Everybody has their own differences, their own tastes, their own preferences, their own opinions. Everybody likes their own type of music. But when we gather together, we're going to have a variety of music because we can praise God in a variety of different ways. And remember this, always remember this, that the song, if you like it or don't like it, the song is not for you. The song is for Him. It's for God. It's always for God. So, so when you don't like that song, get over it because it's for Him. 
And as long as you can praise him and worship him in your heart, that's what you need to be doing. So sing that song. If you don't like the tune, I'm not saying go home and listen to only that song. Like listen to whatever music you like. But while we're here, we're going to play all sorts of different songs. And you may not like them, but they're not for you. They're for him. So take the time, sing them, sing them out, sing them loud, sing them proud because they're for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that we should be worshiping, the one who deserves all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. It's not about doing whatever you like. And in fact, the moment you're worried about what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is thinking or whether you like or dislike the song, you've missed the point because it's for him. It's for him. So why should we gather Because God says to. What do we do in the gatherings? We learn from God's word and we worship him. And then the last question today is what are the possibilities of gathering? If we do what the Bible tells us to here, what are the possibilities? What could be if we do what the Bible tells us? Here's the short answer. And that's that God does great things through gathered people. God does great things through gathered people. In Acts chapter 2, the early church is is just beginning. And in verse 42, beginning in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. God does great things through gathered people. Uh, This passage says that the, the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Uh, continued steadfastly could be translated as devoted. They were devoted to. They were committed to. What were they committed to, though? And that's the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They were committed to what the apostles had taught, the Bible. They were committed to the teaching of the Bible, of what God has to say. They were committed to fellowshipping together or gathering. They were committed to breaking bread, communion, what we just practiced here this morning. And they were committed to prayer. What were they committed to? They were committed to what we're doing right now. They were committed to to being the church, to being active and involved and present in their church. That's what they were committed to. But what happens as a result of this commitment, right? They were committed to the preaching of the word of God, fellowshipping together, breaking of bread or worshiping and prayer. What happens when they were committed to those things? Well, the first thing is that God changes hearts. It says that fear came upon every soul. This is a holy, reverent fear, a a, a change that can only happen from God working in somebody's life. Uh, Somebody who, who saw God one way now sees him another way. Their heart is changed. They have this holy fear and reverence and awe of who God is because God changed their heart. Miracles happen. It says, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You see, God is a powerful God who does miracles as he so chooses. And they're miracles that are unseen sometimes, some that we do see. And God works in ways that we can't understand, that we can't explain. God is a miracle-working God and miracles happen 
as a result of this commitment. Another result is that generosity abounds. You see, this church, they they combined all their resources and they made sure that nobody was in need. Anybody who needed anything, they combined their resources, combined all their food and said, hey, here's food. We'll make sure everybody has what they need. They were so generous that everybody combined all their stuff. That's pretty crazy, right? That's some crazy generosity because they were committed to gathering together. Another thing is unity. Unity. It says that they continued daily with one accord. Continued daily with one accord. It says later with singleness of heart. They, they were continuing with one accord in unity in worship. Not only in worship, but they were all on the same team with the same mission, the same goal in mind, advancing the same kingdom with the same person as the enemy, uh, using the same, the same tactics. Like they were, they were going at it together. They had the same goal in mind and they were pursuing it together as a team in unity. And then the last result of these commitments is multiplication. The Bible says that God added to the church daily. But again, what preceded all of those results. What preceded that was Christians who continued steadfastly or committed to the teaching of God's word, worshiping, fellowshipping with other believers, and prayer. What we would call church. You, you had a group of people who were committed to church and God did some great things through them. So why should we gather? God says to. What do we do in the gatherings? Well, we learn from God's word and we worship him. What are the possibilities of gathering? And that's God does great things through gathered people. Does anybody want great things to happen in our church? Anybody want God to do some great things to our church? Yeah, yeah I absolutely do. I want God to work in our teens. I want God to work in our young adults. I want God to work in our older people, our younger people, our kids, our people who are middle-aged. I want God to work in every area of this church. And the way that he did it through the early church, at least part of the way he did it, was through Christians who were committed to gathering together. Christians who were committed to church, to being the church. You know, you show me a team that is successful and I will show you a team that is faithful in meeting together. You show me a church that is successful and I'll show you a church that is faithful in meeting together. The thing is though, None of this happens if you continue to ride the bench believing that the team meeting is unimportant. Gathering together is unimportant. They can do it without me. I can still celebrate the victories from right here. I don't have to, I don't have to go out there and work hard and sweat. I can just sit right here. And I can sit back, but I'm not participating. I'm not involved. I'm not out there advancing the win of the team together, advancing the, t- the kingdom of God together. And that's what we should be doing, getting off the bench, getting into the game, into the battle, advancing the kingdom of God. You know, we gather for church because God commands us to. While we're gathered, we learn from God's word and we worship him. And if we do this faithfully, God can use us to do some great things just as he used the early church.